This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore, and we welcome David Brooks to the program. How you doing, David? Very well, and how about yourself? All right. David Brooks is Education Coordinator and Recreation and Parks Aide at Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site in Fort Hunter, New York, where the Schoharie Creek flows into the Mohawk River. And Schoharie Crossing is an historic site that really kind of celebrates the Erie Canal because the early canals crossed the Schoharie Creek at that point. Maybe more on that in a, in a few minutes. But David wrote an article which appeared in the New York History blog called Sacandaga Canal Project, A Short History. With the opening of the Erie Canal in 1825, other parts of the state wanted to get into the act with their own canal, and that included of the area to the north of the Fort Hunter, the Sacandaga Valley area? Correct. Yes. I, I want to preface uh, this a little bit by saying that uh, I want to give a good appreciation to Peter Betts, uh, Professor Emeritus at FMCC, and, uh, and also the uh, former Fulton County historian, who I know has been a, a regular guest on your show. Um, because it all kind of started from uh, this project of me researching it. It started when, on my personal Facebook, I posted an image. Um, there was a screen capture from a YouTube video that I was watching. Um, there was a Smithsonian Channel production about the Erie Canal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the graphic designer that put together the map for that connected Albany to Buffalo for the Erie Canal, though it had actually brought the canal up and bisected through what is now known as the Great Sacandaga Lake. Um, so I was completely astonished to see that, knowing full well that the Sacandaga Lake, the Sacandaga Reservoir, didn't exist until 1930. So I put it up on my, my profile, and uh, Peter uh, left me a comment saying that there was something that he'd come across years ago in his research, that uh, Judge Caddy was involved in some sort of a local canal project, and that I should look into it. And I did, and I was able to kind of marry my, my two interests of the Erie Canal with, uh, you know, the area in which I've grown up and lived near the Sacandaga Lake and to this, uh, this research on this proposed Sacandaga Canal. Wow. Well, you, it makes sense, I mean, because it's like everybody in, <laughs> once the Erie Canal was so successful, this canal project, which has been so ridiculed, uh, now all of a sudden everybody wanted a canal. Absolutely. And, you know, the, some of the earliest calls um, coming out of Montgomery County, um, in 1826, there's the Journal Senate reports um, that there's representatives from Montgomery County that are advocating in Albany for there to be um, these surveys conducted to connect um, the Fonda area and or Amsterdam through the Cayadetta up into the North Country. Um, so as soon as the canal opens, the Erie Canal opens in 1825, there's a call all across the state, but particularly in Montgomery County, they're just strongly advocating um, particularly because at the time, Montgomery County encompassed what is now Fulton County. Uh, mm-hmm. So in 1826, the county seat was in Johnstown. And so when they began advocating, the, the route that they really wanted was up through Fonda along the Cayadetta and through the county seat of Johnstown going up and connecting to the second Daga. Hmm. So they studied it. I mean, once the Erie Canal in its... Uh, location, you know, Albany to Buffalo, not going up to Sacandaga. So they, they studied it, and how, how far did they get with this? Um, they, you know, in, even in 1826, uh, the county legislature, they're, they're uh, sending representatives, um, and they're talking uh, to representatives in Albany at the Senate 
um, and they're already um, looking at the practicality of constructing the canal. And in the report, it actually says that they're they're checking out uh, the route through Kingsborough and Johnstown, Caughnawaga, up to the Secondaga River. Um, and at that point, they've already had um, some level of surveying conducted to figure out that feasibility, and they realize that there's there's a potential for it. It'd be 33 miles long. It would require lockages of between 350 to 400 feet uh, in an elevation change, a series of culverts um, for other um, streams and creeks that would go uh, into that area. And they they had kind of figured that the best track would be through the state lands connecting even Lake Pleasant and Paseco um, to make uh, sort of these interconnected uh, navigable waterways using the Cayadetta and some of these other pre-existing waterways and just canalizing those. Mm. And the advantage, or one advantage would be that Johnstown and Gloversville, which were starting to be growing communities, correct, with uh, industry and maybe mainly the leather uh, industry and, and so forth, that it would be good to connect them um, by canal to the bigger Erie Canal. Correct, yeah, and a lot of those resources that could come down the second Daga, um and funnel through the Gloversville and Johnstown through those industries. You have the tanneries, um, you know, there's a, a good lumber industry that's coming down from the Adirondacks even as early as that, um, and that it would just be a, a, an easy access to the, the Erie Canal, which gave you access to a global market. But the, the dream was to make a bigger or longer canal, uh, maybe to link it with the uh, upper Hudson River or maybe to link it even to the Racket River and to the St. Lawrence River. Correct. Yeah, they, they started discussing more and more the idea of not just connecting up through um, uh, toward Seco and Pleasant Lake, that they really ultimately uh, wanted this canal to connect uh, in Fonda up through the Cayadetta, um, through the Johnstown, Gloversville area, connecting to the Second Dog River. Um, and then at that point, there's some speculation as to whether they should use East or West Branch. Um, the series of surveys that were done actually in 1839 um, looked at the potential of either connecting to the Glens Falls feeder canal, so it would connect mm-hmm. into the Hudson Champlain Canal, um, which would also provide access um, kind of in a roundabout from the Erie through the lower Adirondacks and would benefit, you know, not only Montgomery County, but um, Hamilton County as well. Hmm. Now, this would uh, go through the Adirondacks, which is a, a mountain range, right? I mean, uh, what kind would they have enough water to do this? You know what I mean? Yeah, that was that was one of the concerns, um, and it is noted in some of the survey reports um, as to where they're going to get uh, the water, um, and kind of to, I guess, mitigate that concern was was some of the um, the state surveyor general at the time was a gentleman by the last name of Holly. And Holly uh, advocated that instead of just canalizing the Second Dogger River, that they would also create a system of navigable dam uh, canals through some of the wetlands and the lakes through portions of the Adirondacks um, so that the water would just be naturally already there and it'd just be connecting those. Um, so that it's always a concern with canals because obviously a canal doesn't work without water. So. Mm. And, I mean, this could have changed things. I mean, uh, made the Adirondacks more economically prosperous, let's say, but perhaps at the expense of its uh, pristine beauty, which uh, was enshrined uh, later in uh, in law in New York State. 
Exactly, and that's that's actually one of the things that, and doing my research and realizing how early this was was happening, and coming across uh, the survey reports and talking about, you know, not only the increase in the valuation of land, that you know the land value would easily double or triple, um, but that would also mean that there's a great deal of the uh, the timber industry and the mining that we would wind up seeing, particularly in the 1870s, that kind of led to the forever wild establishment of the Adirondacks. Um, a lot of that, the deforestation and the um, mining that would occur in the Adirondacks, would have started a couple decades before. Mm. Um, and there's actually um, Ebenezer Emmons, who was a geologist. Uh, he's really integral in the, the first geological surveys of New York State going into the 1830s. Um, he's actually calling for this improvement, this extensive system of canals to provide those raw materials, the timber and the ore, and also some of the crops that could be produced in the Adirondacks, opening up the Adirondacks for grazing, um, and really kind of uh, what we would kind of term exploiting the natural resources. Mm. But the concerns of uh, the politicians or the people or the and so forth also included the the fact uh, of the expense of this, right? The expense of, of making such a canal. I, I don't know if it would have been as expensive as the original Erie Canal, but it you know, sounds like it's a, a difficult place to build a canal. Absolutely. And and there was right in um, uh, the 1840 report, um, it states that the, the point of the surveys, there was actually a, a couple of different surveys that were conducted um, by the state surveyor, um, Holly, and he contracted a civil engineer by the last name of Hoffman, and that it specifies that they need to, to produce an estimate of the benefit of the state lands um, with those canal routes and the income that could be derived from those, uh, those improvements. And the estimated cost, so Hoffman makes this uh, extensive series of surveys over a course of a couple of months um, into the lower Adirondacks, uh, what's now, you know, um, through uh, Northampton, uh, checking out through Murphy's Mills, uh, up into Glens Falls, and checking out both the east and west branch of the Second Daga, trying to come up with you know the the least um, least concerning path that this canal could take, mm-hmm. and uh, those cost estimates um, at the time you know looking at nearly half a million dollars um, to almost a million dollars in uh, 1840 uh, denomination. Or, or value, um, so that's that's looking at um, three, four, five, six million dollars, depending on your rates of inflation. Um, so it would have been less than the Erie, but at such a, a large cost. And a lot of the report kind of states that while the benefit would be extremely high for that area, that it would not have a great enough benefit to the state as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, after all, was it who was the newspaper editor, Horace Greeley? He he said, "Go west, young man." He didn't say, "Go north." Right, right. <laughs> and anybody that's traversed in the Adirondacks um, knows that that would be um, uh, a quite difficult task to to try to, to construct a, a canal up through that area. Now, at some point, uh, consideration was it not given to starting this <clears throat> canal in Amsterdam or the or Port Jackson, which is where the uh, the name of the South Amsterdam that uh, was on the on the canal, but uh, that didn't seem to be too feasible either. Uh, no, yeah, they, they they checked out that location as well, and uh, you know, kind of there were some discussion as to to connecting it to Amsterdam, and then 
Uh, cargo could be just taken across the river to Port Jackson and connect to the Erie on that um, stretch. And the, again, there was a lot of difficulty because uh, you know the elevation difference from the river getting up through Amsterdam, even if you cut through uh, the Chuktanunga, the North Chuktanunga, um, the, you have several hundred feet um, in just, I think it was something roughly about 33 miles to be able to connect into the, the Sacandaga River Valley, um, but somewhere at 400 feet of elevation difference. To put that in perspective, the 363 miles of the Erie Canal from Albany to Buffalo only really overcomes uh, a change in the elevation of about 550 to 600 feet. Mm-hmm. So to, to try to do nearly as much of an elevation change within, um, you know, 30-some-odd miles, uh, it would have required an extensive series of locks. Um, and the quotes that were put together by the state surveyor um, indicate that those would be dried-laid rock um, locks with plank. Um, so they wouldn't be the, the, um, the watertight hydraulic cement locks that the Erie had at that point. Mm-hmm. So it would be a much larger maintenance concern. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the earlier canals in the United States and in New York, uh, the Western Inland Lack Navigation Company that did some work out near German Flats and Little Falls had extensive problems with their locks because they were plank and dry stone. Mm-hmm. And another <clears throat> point, I mean, uh, when they started the Erie Canal, or before there was an Erie Canal, there had been, let's say, farmers, and I forget one of them who ended up in debtor's jail and, and wrote letters, which was what were one of the sparks to um, uh, building the Erie Canal. I mean, he had been growing crops, and he couldn't get them to market, you know, through the um, with, with the no canal transportation by stage or however they would, uh, wagons and however he'd, he'd get the stuff east. But there wasn't a similar thing going on in the Adirondacks, I don't imagine. You know, people with great waving, um, you know, fields of wheat. Correct. And and uh, the gentleman you're referencing is Jesse Hawley, who wrote underneath uh, a series of essays underneath the pseudonym of Hercules. Um, and that's, that's much uh, to your point, is that in the Adirondacks, it's difficult to grow those crops. So it wasn't a large agriculture. They were looking for those the resources, the natural resources. Um the timber and the, the ore that they could mine from the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so if there was a larger agricultural component, and actually, like I said, the, um, the concept of deforesting and allowing it to be grazing land was probably the, the most agriculture that they were looking for um, from this project. And it really was just to get the natural resources out. The Erie kind of connects across the state. There's ideas and culture that move. Um, with it as well, and you have raw goods heading east and finished goods heading west and people heading west. The state surveyor general, Holly, um, noted in his report, the Senate report of 1840, that in order to, to gain these natural resources from uh, the lower Adirondacks and into the Adirondacks, and this canal could allow for the products of the forest to make their way into the market and also clear farmlands that would awaken the spirit uh, agricultural enterprise um, and thus also allow inhabitants and, and people to move into the area of the Adirondacks and further populate um, that district of New York. And another thing maybe working against this in terms of the march of time uh, was the development of railroads, right? I mean, Correct. And what's, what's kind of telling in the research that I, I was able to do on this was, um, and, and I'm not trying to use uh, George Hoffman, the civil engineer that did the series of surveys, 
um, as, as any sort of scapegoat or that it would be um, entirely on him. But Holly was a railroad man, um, and so Hoffman was a civil engineer who, by 1840 and 1841, was a chief engineer for a railroad company. Um, so he do, does some due diligence with these surveys and surveys well over 400 miles um, from the second Daga up through Barber's Dams, the Mohawk River to Rexford Flats, and he's really checking out all of the possible routes and directions to connect the Erie to the second Daga and the second Daga to the Champlain Canal or the, the Glens Falls feeder. Um, but ultimately what it comes down to is within the, the report is talking about that this would be much better served by a railroad line or if the district, the region of New York State, had a well-laid-out system of roads, that the same uh, benefit could be served at a much less of a cost, not only to the state, but to the local government as well. We're talking with David Brooks, Education Coordinator at Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site in Fort Hunter, but an article he wrote on the Sacandaga Canal Project, which uh, was thought about in the 1800s. Back with more with David in just a moment. We depend on your contributions of financial support to keep going with the Historian's Podcast. Please make a donation online at gofundme.com forward slash historians2017. Or send a donation in the mail. Make the check out to Bob Cudmore. Send to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. We're talking with uh, David Brooks of Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site on a proposal, which was uh, never followed through on, of course, uh, to create an, a northern canal starting either in Fonda or in Amsterdam, uh, going north through the uh, glove cities, if you will, of Johnstown and Gloversville, through the area of the Sacandaga uh, River, and maybe even uh, north as, as far as the St. Lawrence River. Uh, and when would you say this uh, idea was uh, officially dead? Um, just about the same time that the surveyor's report hit the Senate desk. Um, within that report, it, it indicates that the value um, to the public would not be high enough to warrant the expense of the state to build the canal. So, so that was it. Yeah, I, I kind of refer to uh, the Senate report as the, the final nail in the coffin for the Second Dog Canal. I didn't kill the idea of canals in the Adirondacks. Um, Farron Benedict, had, uh, within a decade or a decade and a half in the mid-1840s, um, had done a series of surveys as well. Uh, Mike Prescott um, has some really great articles that are also uh, published through uh, the Adirondack Almanac online to discuss this, um, and that was, again, a use of, of the waters that already exist in the Adirondacks, the rivers and the streams, on creating some slackwater damming in those spaces. Um, and at that point, that was going to be an east-west uh, Adirondack canal, mostly used for the timber industry. Mm. And I'm, I'm maybe a little confused. Did they build these other canals or any other canals in the Adirondacks, or, or don't you know? Maybe you didn't there, know. There are some. There's, there's evidence of a few. Um, there were some, some smaller canals to kind of take out the oxbows in some, uh, some rivers and streams that were used in the logging for the, uh, the great log drives that would happen in the spring. Um, there's a few parts here and there that would be cut. Um, those are all 
private enterprises or companies or, or wealthy industrialists out of New York City that um, you know potentially have made their money off the Erie Canal and understand the value of, of canalizing parts of the Adirondacks to, to serve their industry, to bring their, their raw materials out, um, particularly in the spring, like I said, with the, those massive log drives. Mm. Elsewhere in the state, though, canals were built, right? They connected uh, to Lake Ontario and, and other places. Yeah, and, and during the, the, the first decade after the opening of the Erie, again, with this, this large call across the state for lateral canals or, or connecting the, you know, the north-south from the Erie, um, there's the Black River Canal that gets created. That also comes into play later on when they're talking about trying to canalize parts of the Adirondacks. They want to connect them that. Um, you know, the Oswego Canal connecting up into Lake Ontario, and the Seneca-Cayuga Canal that comes down into the Finger Lakes. And so there's, there's a lot to be said about the, there's this canal fever that's happening. Everybody wants a canal. They understand that it can allow them access to the Erie, um, which would allow their, their raw goods and their products to go out east or west and, and be able to be profitable. Mm. And it seems with each of, uh, of our whatever, um, the, the current mode of land transportation, the first canals, then railroads, then uh, highways and, and the automobiles and, and trucks, that uh, people come up with the ideas to, to uh, send um, some kind of project, if you will, through the uh, Adirondacks. For example, with trains, all I recall is, or one of the things I recall, it's not actually all I recall, but one of the things I recall is reading the book um, Murder in the Adirondacks um, about the uh, murder at uh, a lake was it, uh, in the, the Adirondacks. And this was in the railroad era, and people were getting around there by train, you know, much more so than they, they can today. Correct. Yeah, and the lot to be said. I, working at a canal site and, and uh, loving the canals, that you know, everybody uh, eventually brings up the railroads, too. And I think that um, a lot of, in this era, the 1840s and 1850s, rail lines are really still, you know, they're in their infancy. Um, they are becoming, you know, easier to lay the track. And that there's several calls to come up with a way to, to properly marry the two. Uh, so in the Adirondacks, in particular, there's several notes. Um, in the report, and there's also um, Ebenezer Emmons that had talked about uh, constructing this canal system, but it's complemented with the railroads. The railroads can overcome the mountainous terrain. You can either tunnel or go over. You have that ability, um, and they are a year-round um, mode of transportation. But the canal itself was cheaper in the sense that to move goods is just that much cheaper on water. Um, and so using these to complement each other with a system of canals and rails would have been the most ideal thing in the Adirondacks. Mm, but it wasn't actually done. And in, we get into the highway era. I know I'm kind of blue-skying here. The, I mean, the throughway was built before the Northway, right? I mean, the, the throughway was a known route, you know, again, the, the route of the Erie Canal, the route of the uh, railroads, uh, and that road going from Albany up to Canada and uh, was, you know, something was maybe desired, but uh, it didn't take place until many years after the construction of the throughway. Yeah, and I, I think that there's always been this hearkening to the Adirondacks, and particularly, you know, in, uh, because of the canal era and the industrialization of New York State in particular, that, uh, you know, the Adirondacks was representing this, this uh, well, we, the term we use now is this forever wild, but it was this, uh, you know, 
a lot of the Adirondacks, the Adirondack Lodges, uh, comes from these, these wealthy people being able to go and expose themselves to nature and, and be a part of that. Um, and there's something to be said about that development where if the canal, the secondary canal had been built or other canals across the Adirondacks, a lot of that um, uh, deforestation and the, the mining that would have occurred would have started earlier and it could have been much more devastating. We wouldn't have that great natural resource that we still have as New Yorkers uh, that is within the blue line of the Adirondacks. Um, and so going into the Adirondacks now, hopefully there's an appreciation for the fact that you know, while people live there and there is commerce and industry and business and there's the Northway that cuts through it and Route 30, that, um, that gives you access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something else to be said about maybe not accessing it as much. A lot of the Adirondacks are, are being, uh, as a forever wild space, uh, accessed maybe to a point where they're not as wild. And mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of conservation um, and, and cooperation in, in uh, today's world but also understanding that that has a very historic um, flavor to it and that um, going into those spaces, you should have a reverence for it and, and an understanding. Mm-hmm. And maybe inappropriately, uh, this business about maybe making a canal through the Adirondacks uh, puts me in mind of the idea that I've written a, a columns about myself, about uh, there was a plan in the 70s, 1970s, to... Uh, build a superhighway from Amsterdam up to Calais, Maine, you know, kind of a, a northeast uh, superhighway. But that never took off either. Yeah. And, you know, there, there could be um, any argument made on either side of that as an economic development, whether it would have really helped or, or anything else. And, and that's where I kind of took this uh, different perspective when doing this research. And, and, again, that's why I want to say that, you know, I'm not looking at um, – the engineer Hoffman is, is the bad guy in this, that he was just very practical. He happened to wind up working for the railroads. Um, but, you know, there's there's something to be said in, in hindsight that we can mm-hmm. kind of interpret with this history. Um, and it's also, you know, that was within the era in which um, you're kind of mixing in this new republic idealism and you, this increasing industry. Um, so everybody really wants a piece of the American pie at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's only so much pie to go around. I guess. And also, you know, what, what happened in history was <clears throat> eventually the Sacandaga River was dammed for a flood control reservoir, which has become the Great Sacandaga Lake, which serves the purpose of uh, protecting uh, Albany, Cohoes, Water Elite from intense flooding on the Hudson River, but also has become a a, a boon for people who uh, have uh, recreation homes or, or permanent homes up there. Correct. And I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, there was a second art canal. Who knows how long its lifespan would have been. It obviously would have changed uh, the valley drastically. There was, you know, when they, they flooded the second art valley to create the, uh, the reservoir, um, these communities like Fish House and Osborne's Bridge were lost to that project. Um, but if there was a canal that had gone up through there, we, you know, the, the potential for there to be that much larger of an inhabitants or, or larger communities would have been there. Um, but looking at it now with, with the flooding of the Sacandaga Valley for the Great Sacandaga Lake, uh, formerly the reservoir, um, that it does. It provides these, these opportunities, these recreational and economic um, opportunities for people that live in the area or that want to come in from out of state. Um, sort of like as I mentioned in the article, that the Erie Canal today is viewed more as a recreational way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so without the 
Secondary Canal being built, we now have a space that is, uh, you know, it serves the purpose of a, of a flood control by use of the Conklinville Dam, but it also provides the opportunity for an economic um, and a recreational support for the community mm-hmm. in the area. Um, with the loss of the Second Dugga Park, with the flooding, um, that at least there's some level of benefit that comes sure. from you know, the boating community and the restaurants and the bars around the lake. This has been the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.